It's September 9th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Coming up, we'll hear about an upcoming interface event from J.R. Cantrell. Then Nathan Toothman will tell us about Elevate, an innovative, eco-friendly, sustainable housing option. Finally, for the rest of the hour, we'll talk to John Rann and Peter Couch, and uh, we'll find out about the new STEM office over at the University of Hawaii. We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation, so be ready to call in or tweet after the break. Well, of course, uh, we were all glued to the stream, the Apple.com stream this morning, (laughs) and uh, watching Tim Cook and all of his uh, VPs announced all the cool things that are coming out with Apple. And it's this, a Super Bowl for nerds. It, it really is. And so <laughs> what was it that really captivated your attention? Well, I was surprised by a lot of the things that they announced. I, I, can, I can start there. Now, it's their fall event. It's always about the iPhone. It's their number one. It's the biggest consumer product, technology product out there. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's the next iteration. Looks pretty much the same. But upgraded camera, upgraded uh, specs and things like that. So, so well, let's start with the Apple Watch. Sure. What was so cool about the Apple Watch, besides the bands, the new bands. Yes, new bands, product red bands. Uh-huh. You can now get a gold one without spending $17,000. I think that's kind of that's exciting. Cool. That's nice. Now I think my wife might be interested in that. Um, and you can run apps on the watch. So, I mean, you and I are both Apple Watch users. Mm-hmm. I think they're great, but, you know, we might want a little more power, a little more responsiveness. And I think by this upgrade to the operating system, I think that's going to fix that. And then uh, they went on to talk about the uh, Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Now, Apple TV is long been a product that uh, been sort of languishing they they did reduce the price to 69 bucks and thought wow that's pretty cool 69 bucks but they announced uh, some interesting features in Apple TV which kind of positions it as a you know sort of the the hub in your home Right, long-delayed update, certainly. Mm-hmm. They haven't really done anything big with it since 2010, although they upgrade a little bit every year. But now they've added an app store, as long desired since they first introduced the product. So there's apps for different um, channels. Different There's an Airbnb app, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there will be games. And with that, they introduced a much more complex uh, control, remote, uh, remote yeah, control. Yeah. Now the old Apple remote. I don't know how many of those I've lost in my couch. I mean, because they're they're like little sticks of gum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping this would big one's a little easier to find. But it has a touch surface on it and a Siri button. So I think the primary thing. And when we watched the keynote in my office, my coworkers were primarily ex- excited about the opportunity to out loud ask their television. I want a Jason Statham action movie made before 2008. And it can do all of that filtering and just show you on screen all of those movies and the different services, not just Apple services, where you can press play. Now, they didn't really talk about streaming and the content that might be available because – and that is the exact sort of application that you could ask Siri to do is search through all the streaming services and find that particular program that you want. But they haven't gotten to the point where they're actually – uh, announcing that streaming uh, streaming program. Well, everyone waits for the is waiting for them to announce their uh, television over the internet, mm-hmm, basically mm-hmm. disconnecting you from your cable provider because you can get everything with the apps. But I think that's a long conversation, and I think all of the different providers, Amazon and Google, are also trying to do the same thing. And I kind of like this, this so, so great competition. Does this get them on par with the uh, Amazon Echo? Well, Echo does a few other things, and of course, Echo is primarily there to help you buy uh, toilet paper on 
Amazon. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's the different ends of the means, but um, a good friend of ours, Paul, has the Echo, and every time he brings it to an event, it's pretty much everyone's favorite conversation starter. So, there's that. Okay. Now, the uh, iPad Pro, this big, you know, <laughs> tablet that's like 13 inches, uh, what do you think about that? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's great. It's definitely a play for the enterprise market. Um, recently, Apple's been doing a lot with IBM, and certainly people can see tablets in doctor's office, see tablets out in the field when you're do- doing construction and engineering. I think that uh, the bigger size is certainly what you're talking about. So now you can have two apps on Mm -hmm. it at the same time, email on one side, map on the other, for example. I have to say, though, that I owe my friend uh, Wayne lunch because I said, you know, Steve Jobs said that the stylus was a bad idea. If you had a stylus, a little pen with your device, then you've done something wrong from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And suddenly now Apple has the... Apple Pencil. And in fact, it has the Apple keyboard that attaches to this tablet, which many Microsoft fans will rightfully say they had a long time ago. And now Apple is getting into it. I cannot believe that they're doing a stylus. Well, so the the whole idea with this uh, larger tablet, I think it kind of just... What do you think? I mean, does it get them on par with what is already out there? Well, I think that they are still the definitive tablet. If that's the form factor that you want, I think the iPad has always been the best choice apart from price. But um, even even educators that we know say, well, without the stylus, without the ability to annotate, without diagrams that you can draw on and turn and send easily, you can't get your work done. So mm-hmm. there are, as much as I might be uh, kind of skeptical of a now fancy Apple pencil, we've reinvented the pencil. The fact of the matter is I think it's something that a lot of people wanted. So, Good. And it is sold separately. You right. do have to spend an extra 100 bucks uh, just for the pencil. Okay, now we only got a couple more minutes, but uh, we wanted to get some uh, some comments made about the 6S and 6S Plus. You know, uh, what is it, 14 megapixel uh, 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 camera, and camera the, right? And 4K and then, video. And then the, uh, uh, face, uh, the front-facing camera is going to be like 5 megapixels. Yes, so Bert, if you do not know, loves his selfies. Yeah, so they have completely yeah. updated and upgraded the selfie camera so we can look forward to Bert's face in high definition with panoramic background. Now, you know, um, uh, Dan Cook in, on Hawaii News Now did ask me about the, uh, the flash, which I thought was kind of interesting because now they're going to turn the screen into a flash for the front-facing camera. And actually have it sense. have it become more of a sort of a skin tone flash so it doesn't really white your face out. Yes, you don't look like a ghost. Yeah, so I think yeah. that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. So I, I actually have a coworker who wants to stand in line with me. So when that happens, I think well, August twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. Is it September twenty fifth or? Yep, September twenty fifth. We'll be uh, at the Apple. Okay, store so so better camera, A nine processor. What else? What else can you do with it? I, I just think it's it's better for what it is. Of course, they're doing the force touch on the screen. Force touch, so, which isn't really called force touch no, by Apple. No, they're calling it 3D, 3D touch. touch. Okay. Well, that's the up, update on the uh, Apple announcement today. And, of course, uh, if you want to go watch the uh, get a keynote, you can go back to uh, apple.com and catch the full uh, two hours of it. My son got, watched it as soon as he got home, and he kept sending me exclamation points. So that's <laughs> a good sign. All right. Okay. So, um now we want to welcome J.R. Can, uh, Cantrell, and he's the Director of Marketing de- Market Development over at F2F Events, and they've got a show coming up called Interface, and we want to welcome J.R. to Bite Marsh Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you guys? Very good. So, J.R., what's, uh, what's this Interface, and how long have you guys been doing this? So, Interface, um, uh, I'll just start by our company uh, called F2F Events. We're based just outside of... Uh, Portland, Oregon, we produce 26 CPE-accredited IT conferences mm-hmm. uh, that take place across the country. Um, the conferences uh, consist of um, an event floor that you'll go, and you'll see 
some familiar technology companies, national and local, um, that have exhibits that are there to speak to about um, some solution-based issues that you may have with your uh, company in the IT department. And then you're going to have a couple areas where there will be um, CPE-accredited sessions going on all day um, that will range in topics from security, obviously, to storage, um, we have a great security panel that's going to take place uh, in the afternoon. Um, we'll have a keynote. Um, so those will be the major pillars of the event that they'll, there will be tomorrow. But we do these around the country. We have the Interface brand, which is um, one of the models, which is a little larger. Then we have another brand called Tech Junction. Mm-hmm. Tech Junction you'll find in a market like uh, uh, Spokane, Washington, or Bozeman, Montana, um, Birmingham, Alabama, Tucson. You'll find our interfaces in an Orange County, Seattle, Portland, Phoenix, have you done uh, the, Atlanta. Have, is this uh, the first interface in, in Hawaii? This is our first one. We, we um, talked with a lot of our partners, um, and we work very closely with our sponsors uh, and partners and ask them where they would like to uh, uh, be part of an event. Mm-hmm. And Hawaii kept coming up over and over and over. <laughs> oh, very good. They don't have enough opportunity to to market to the people here and get in touch and know what's going on with the, the IT community here. So we listened. Um, we talked to the local community. Um, uh, they indicated that this would be a great conference to bring here, and so we're here tomorrow, September 10th, at the uh, Sheridan Waikiki. So, JR, you mentioned CPE. Now, when I was in the uh, telecom industry, CPE stood for Customer Premise Equipment. Is that the same <laughs> same acronym? No. No, what is it CPE? is not. Um, okay. And I know of what you speak because I was in that business before as well. It is continuing professional education ah, credit. Good. So I'm glad you clarified Many people that. in the IT field um, have certifications, you know, if they're Microsoft certifications or Cisco. Um, now you get a lot of uh, security um, certifications that people have to keep up, and they have to have places to get those um, mm-hmm. uh, credits. And so we provide... Uh, that opportunity at our events, and a person can come to the event and have the opportunity to get as many as six of those CPE credits in one day um, where they don't always have that opportunity um, to do so. And at our event, if you're a working IT professional, um, you can attend the event for free. So, um, So it's a real good deal to be able to come there get the education, get the credits, um, and then um, do it complimentary of the sponsors mm-hmm, that we have. Mm-hmm. And certainly uh, a lot of your sponsors are familiar names, Trend Micro, Quorum, Kapersky. And uh, well, tell us a little bit about the keynote speaker that you're bringing to Hawaii, uh, John Newsom. He's uh, from Quorum. Yeah, so John um, is interesting because John has been in the technology field um, for over 20 years. Um, and he, uh, as his title of the keynote is, is how, I, how I went from developer to CEO, um, trends I've seen in technology. Um, he started out as a developer and worked his way through, um, became uh, the head of a company called Quest Software, um, brought Quest Software from a company that was um, about a million dollars and 40 employees to the point where um, three or four years ago, um, they were sold to Dell, um, and he was managing a business line of, of 400 employees and $100 million. Hmm. And uh, um, so he, he's going to talk about his experiences um, and what he's seen. And if you look back through 20 years of 
of technology time. Um, and I can remember back that far in 1995, where if you had a, a, a 50 megabyte hard drive, you were styling. <laughs> so, so I mean, from that to where we're at now, he's seen a whole lot, and and I just thought it would be fun for for people to kind of hear hear that story yeah. and and uh, um, think back. You know, if if you're as old as me, think back to when a 50 megabyte hard drive was big, and then a lot of people have have come up through technology in that time frame, and and uh, um, there's just a lot to tell in that in that story. So, Jr., uh, if people want to come and check it out, the uh, interface, where can they go? So, we're going to be at the Sheridan Waikiki. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on the second floor ballrooms. Um, you can't miss us. Um, you come up the escalators. Uh, we'll be right there. Um, and so you you're taking a walk-ins, on right? Site. Oh, good. Okay. Um, uh, and again, there is no cost to attend. You just have to be a working IT professional. Um, uh, so there is no cost. They can register on site. Um, doors will open at 9. We'll have lines, so if people are going to register on site, they should get there early. Doors will open at 9. Um, 9.30 will be the first session, and lunch will be at noon, which we provide to all attendees as well. Ah, food is very good. <laughs> yes, it is. Free food, too. Coffee as well. So, uh, And then the keynote's at 2.45, and then we do a great reception at 3.30 with complimentary uh, beer, wine, and hors d'oeuvres as well. It's some awesome. great giveaways. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you guys can come. All right. Well, well thanks, well, JR. Thanks for coming on the show and telling folks about that. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. So that's the Interface Tour. You can go to interfacetour.com, and we will also have the link for you on the show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Now joining us here in the studio is Nathan Toothman. He's from Elevate, and he's here to tell us about a novel housing option that he's trying to get going on Kickstarter. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate having me here. Now, of course, we love profiling Kickstarter projects. Hawaii has produced some really interesting ones, a lot of iPhone accessories, a lot of neat little gadgets. But certainly as we are talking in Hawaii on a broader level about the housing crisis, about sustainability, about the environment, I definitely liked what I saw about Elevate. What is your grand idea? So the grand idea here is to um, tap into the vertical space of areas. And so we do that using a pedestal foundation. So it has a small footprint on the ground. And um, that still allows for plenty of use below for parking um, and just using the space below for a drive-through, walk-through, a variety of options. Um, and so you're raising up the space where people are um, living or operating a business and keeping a very small footprint on the ground. And so um, there's a lot of advantages of that. And then we do it in an aesthetically pleasing way by making it look like a tree. So we're trying to keep the proportions of a tree. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes trees, mm-hmm. right? Um, keep the look, the proportions, um, and so we're making this really functional, innovative, sustainable structure that we see could be used in, in a whole variety of applications. And um, one of the main ones now is the, the Hawaii Housing Crunch. So, sure. you know, the ex- uh, accessory dwelling unit is um, went through city council, ready to be signed. And so this is Tiny an option. houses, yeah, right. micro units. Yeah, yeah micro houses too um, for people who are building just the micro house movement. But, you know, for people who want something in their backyard to rent out, to use for um, additional space and to pack more into a fixed area. And so that's what we deal with on Oahu is everything's kind of built out. And so um, this is a way to do that without taking up your entire yard and a way to do it in an aesthetically pleasing way, an environmentally friendly way. Um, you know, it looks like a tree house, but it does not require a tree. No, it you don't need the, the tree <laughs> and don't try to cut it down because it has structural steel 
posts supporting it up. So what is the base of, of a uh, Elevate unit? So the base, I mean, it goes down to the foundation, and that's what I do in my job as a civil engineer's foundations. And so what we do is um, we drill micropiles. So that taps in deep into the earth, mm-hmm. and in other terms, root piles. So when you tap in deeper, you get to stronger soil. Um, you get really good uh, tension capacity there, and then we do spot footers. So that's what you don't see when you see the structure above ground is what goes into it below ground. Mm-hmm. And so then what we have at the top is the micropiles that we then bolt the structure to. So mm-hmm. this structure is actually removable too. It's just connected in a similar way that a billboard or a stadium lights would be connected to a concrete base. And then going up, you have this 40-square-foot print of the base, and that is an entirely hollow void right there. So the original inspiration for it was to store all of your water needs within the trunk of the tree. Mm-hmm. And that helps weight it down, too, for tsunamis and flooding events. But it just creates a really compact um, way to store your water without having a giant tank in your yard. And, and water is a very crucial um, thing, you know, in, in everyone's lives. Here on Oahu, we have pretty good water supply, so we don't feel the crunch that some other um, you know, outer islands feel or other states, California, other countries, India, um, things like that. So, um, But that's a huge component of this, and that's the direction we want this to go to, is to, um, using this as the water storage foundation, and that's not that's something that no one's doing right mm-hmm. now. Now, um, are, you, uh, are you targeting a particular kind of profile? Is it the residential uh, lots that are out there, or is it uh, does it have application in, in commercial kinds of, uh, let's say, um, um, Environments. I mean, where would be the ideal place for this elevate? Yeah, so um, I think a good example would be um, parking lots where they're, you want to put in, you need to get more out of the parking lot because oh, it's underutilized uh-huh. space. So if you think of the, the drive through Starbucks that went in the Kahala Mall, and so they took up a very large footprint onto, on the ground just to serve for a walkthrough and a drive through. So mm-hmm. the concept here in this is you elevate up the, the worker space. And then you keep a very small footprint on the ground. You don't take up as much parking spaces, and you still get that functionality um, through that. And there was recently an article that just came out today in Hawaii Magazine kind of detailing that. Um, Fast Company Magazine, they did an online article about it for putting actual houses out in the parking lots too. You know, So we have these giant areas of our cities that are covered with just asphalt, mm-hmm. and they're contributing to stormwater runoff, and they're not really being used for much other than than parking. So this is a way to get more out of those parking spots, do it in an um, environmentally friendly way where we capture the rainwater, we store it in the tanks, that reduces stormwater runoff, then wrapped in solar panels too on the sides and the top so you can get these off the grid and just generate more, um, you know. I like, the, I like the fact that you have some plants kind of growing on the walls of the uh, structure. Uh, what's, the, what's the sort of rationale behind that? Is that the um, it's conservation for, for, of heat? And well, there's a lot of um, benefits there. I mean, it provides insulation. Mm-hmm. And then as the breeze blows over, it, it creates a natural cooling effect. So it's somewhat like a national or um, just an air conditioner for the unit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it also, when you're up there in it, it feels good. It feels like you're surrounded by nature. But really the main driving force is to keep it really aesthetically pleasing. And so it'll, I think it'll fit into parking lots if it looks like a tree, if it looks pretty. If it doesn't look pretty, then yeah. there's going to be objections to it. We've, right. We haven't had many people say that it's ugly. Most people, um, when they see it, they're oh, drawn saw, to it. Yeah, it was and, very intriguing. And so we, we see that as something in parking lots too that you, you would be drawn to just for the experience to that business as well. Because um, usually the parking lots are just completely devoid of right. nature, right? So now we're trying to bring nature into these these parking lots and then using 
for business space as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the idea. I love the engineering background, but the eco-friendly way that you're going about it. If somebody wanted to learn more and if they wanted to try and support your Kickstarter <laughs> to get this off the ground, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> where can they go for more information? Uh, you can uh, go to elevatestructure.com or you can just Google up Elevate Structure. Uh, it'll come up there to the top and then there'll be a link to the Kickstarter campaign. And on the Kickstarter campaign, there's a great video to watch mm-hmm. that just kind of goes through everything I talked about here. Mm-hmm. Sounds Fantastic. Good. Well, thanks, great. Nathan. Thanks a lot, guys. On the, on the Kickstarter. Appreciate it. And, Appreciate of course, it. we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by, joined by John Ran and Peter Crouch from UH to talk about STEM in Hawaii. What is the plan for the new STEM office at the University of Hawaii? We'd, of course, love to hear your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the Tolo neighbor islands. You can reach us toll-free at 877-941-3689. And we're live in the studio, so you can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Bruce Linton, author of Becoming a Dad, How Fatherhood Changes Men. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how fatherhood changes us when we become dads. Sunday morning at 11. Nobody knows. This is Michael Lasser. Join me for Fascinate Rhythm and songs mainly by black singers, mainly about nobody. Not a coincidence. Sunday afternoon at 4. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And Hawaii's educational institutions have embraced science, technology, engineering, and math, also known as STEM. And we want to find out how we've progressed over the years. Joining us today from the Office of STEM Education, or OSE, are John Rand and, of course, uh, Peter Crouch. He's not with the Office of STEM, but we'll find out what Peter does. <laughs> John is the director of the newly established office. Peter Crouch is the dean of the College of Engineering over at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. So what is the game plan for STEM in Hawaii? How can you connect the various disparate programs across the state? We'd, of course, love your questions and comments, too, at 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689. That's a toll-free call from the neighbor islands. John and Peter, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, before we get into how we can uh, quantify how we're doing with STEM, let's have you, John, kind of explain to us what exactly is STEM. And, of course, you know, we've talked about it for as long as we've been on (laughs) the This is a STEM cafe. This is is really STEM cafe. But we've talked about it. But um, for the benefit of of maybe some folks that may, you know, want to know a little bit more about what is this, what is STEM in Hawaii and, and how, you know, how does it play into our overall sort of technology ecosystem? I'll give you a chance to 
paint that picture, John? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. It's a very difficult question, as it turns out, when you uh, bring all of the factors involved, in, not in just the state, but nationally, uh, in defining what STEM is. We've actually struggled with it at, at the University of Hawaii quite a great deal in trying to define it ourselves because we have to do it in a very quantifiable way. We mm -hmm. need to be able to say how many STEM majors we have, and therefore we need to know exactly what majors are considered STEM and which are not. And um, it's been a really big debate nationally because, uh, you know, the National Science Foundation, for example, is the premier science organization in our country. But, you know, they don't really... They don't really take too kindly to calling them health sciences and health services and so on because you've got the National Institute of Health just a few miles up the road, which makes 10 times more money mm -hmm. from Congress than the National Science Foundation. So mm. they've really struggled because uh, health sciences, for example, isn't considered a STEM at NSF, and some of the basic sciences that that you have wouldn't be counted by the National Institute of Health. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. And then you've got AG and you've got NIST and you've got all these different organizations. So who holds the definition? You know, it would be nice if the Department of Education, maybe the National Department of Education would do that, and they have not done that. So so it's been really difficult. Mm -hmm. And actually, UH has adopted uh, a definition used by the Department of Homeland Securities, <clears throat> Oh, well, which so, is kind of interesting. So I was going to ask you, uh, you know, STEM has been around for many, many years. I mean, you know, we know what the acronym stands for, but when you define it, and now I think I want to hear what the Homeland Security definition of STEM is. I mean, what where did the where did it start, and now where does the homeland security define it? Well, I think uh, basically what you know for us it's more of a technical thing wh how we do this. We could actually just go through all of our majors at the four year institutions, and we could say this one is, this one isn't, and so on. Mm -hmm. But we wanted a kind of a formalized way of trying to determine uh, what these would be these STEM majors, and then be able to keep that that count going for a long period of time, see how we're doing, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, your question. Mm -hmm. And uh, Homeland Securities gives visas specifically to people who um, have certain skills that the United States wants. And so they have to spend a lot of time thinking about what those skills are and what majors students get that are reasonable uh, in developing and, and performing these things, these tasks or skills that mm -hmm. the United States wants. Mm -hmm. And so... That's why Homeland Securities did that. And specifically, there is what's called a CIP code. Uh, it's a classification oh. code that's used for all big universities that are trying to um, characterize what their STEM majors are. And they, they use a SIP code that works very well in Hawaii. So we, we think we can adopt it and use these SIP codes um, for Homeland Securities much more accurately than we could when we report our numbers to to the federal government, to the Department of Education, and so on through iPads and some of the other mm -hmm. mechanisms that they need. It's kind of complicated. No, actually, I love the idea that the, the realization that the answer of what is STEM is not as simple as you might think it is, at least in terms of the practical implementation of getting things done, getting resources, and educating people. Uh, so, um, uh, Peter, if I could ask you... Um, is, does it get even more complicated when, as we've even covered on this show, when people talk about STEM, they say STEM is not enough. Science, technology, engineering, and math is not enough. We need the liberal sciences piece. We need the arts piece. We need to call it STEAM. Or even we need to throw reading in there and call it STREAM. And this acronym starts to grow. I mean, uh, is that kind of muddying the water or making things less clear? Yes, I think it certainly is muddying the water to some extent. But um, I, I think uh, I certainly do have sympathy uh, for certain aspects. So STEAM, for example, uh, I think is is an interesting concept, mostly because, for example, engineers spend a lot of time designing. 
and they have to or should worry about aesthetics. Well, mm-hmm. aesthetics is clearly then linked to uh, what we learn in the arts and activities like that, appreciation of the art. And so connecting that type of uh, left brain, right brain activity in engineers naturally extends out to that. So, so you could make a really good argument, but I think the best argument is, is of course, uh, referring back to your earlier piece uh, today on Apple. You know, the the synergy of what uh, the the uh, you know the function and the aesthetics. That's mm-hmm. what really mm-hmm. has made Apple great. Uh, and so, what better testimony for things like Steam? So you brought up a good point, and and I haven't heard it arti- articulated in that fashion. Uh, we are, you know, getting involved with a lot of engineering startups, uh, entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. uh, but the idea of actually incorporating the design and the user interface and the sort of how does the human interact with all this technology, uh, that could be a very good definition of what the A stands for in Steam. <laughs> Yeah, it could, and of course, everybody is going to have their favorite definition. Oh, that's true. That yeah. benefits them. I think. I think, you know, to some extent, um, people who haven't been in the STEM arena are saying, "Well, how can I get some of that?" Mm-hmm. And so they're creating these uh, these additional bridges, mm-hmm. uh, which is not which is not bad. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are other areas in which. Uh, design goes over to all sorts of areas within almost any uh, aspect of education, which goes into innovation. So what is innovation? It's about, you know, experimenting, prototyping, which isn't limited to engineering or any particular science. We do that in all walks of life. And so it's all, you know it's all connected to everything. I, I think you just had you know made a good case for I getting into stream. So we're building streaming, streaming, I stream. streaming. I got another one. Yeah, okay. C. <laughs> all right, creativity. <laughs> Who owns creativity? You know that's that's oftentimes put in the field of art, right? Art, mm-hmm. art, music. They're creative and so on. And I would argue that folks in STEM are very creative as well. People that are creating new science and, mm-hmm, and building mm-hmm. new things. That's all creativity. So. You know who owns creativity. That's I think that might be a uh, inroad as well. But but uh, you know but, but to that point, I mean, all of the like uh, you know STEM. I mean, you could get a degree in all of those things, but can you actually get a degree in creativity? Good question. Mm. I mean, right, I, right, right. So I think that's a great you know maybe that's something we want to consider. I know that there's something that's happening at UH. Uh, where we're actually being very innovative. Well, innovative well so, and so John is looking at Peter <laughs> as if there's something going on at UH. What, what, what is, is the innovation initiative, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, part of, uh, you know, the, uh, the president's and our ex-president's uh, leadership is trying to, you know, work off the, uh, you know, innovation initiative. And, and what does that mean for your average student? Uh, I mean, at some point, you've got to take that and interpret it for the students that we, we that we teach. And so we're trying to create something called the uh, Innovation Lab or iLab, mm-hmm. uh, in which we want to take students out of their usual uh, classroom context uh, in which they're thinking specifically about a particular subject and try to put them in a context where they're thinking more collaboratively with students in other disciplines and trying to think about what they can do themselves. What can they create? What can they innovate? Mm -hmm. Um, 
So a much sort of more broader, abstract uh, idea of, of creativity, innovation, which hopefully, of course, the end product we're looking for is entrepreneurship. How do we, how do we then channel that sort of activity into the commercial world or the social worlds? Uh, so we have social entrepreneurship. Um, so there the driver is not necessarily the bottom line, but it's still entrepreneurship. And so how do we do more of that? Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. So, but, you know, a lot of that, thanks to Silicon Valley, was originated the idea that the philosophy originated r- around the tech industry. The tech industry is back to the STEM. So, you know, here we are all mm-hmm. the way back to STEM. We're talking to Peter Crouch, the dean of the College of Engineering over at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, as well as uh, John who is the uh, director of the newly established Office of STEM at the university. If you have a question about STEM or how the university can play a part, we'd appreciate your call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we are looking for your mentions on Twitter as well. So, John, this office, we first heard about it actually a few weeks ago on this very show when we were talking about rockets. And it turns out there was a much bigger conversation to be had, and I'm glad you were able to return. So now this office has been created, I guess, in at least in concept and in administrative uh, paperwork. But when you, uh, as Peter talked about, how do you make it relevant to the students? What is the basic vision of the STEM office in terms of its position at the university to somehow wrangle all of STEM into one place? Yeah, that's really, I think, you got right to the essential goal. I mean, the, the office's goal is to basically help support all of the campuses, the 10 campuses in the University of Hawaii system with the various initiatives and projects that they have and plans that they want to make uh, and and how to move uh, STEM forward to both support the strategic directives, in particular to the Hawaii Innovation Initiative and the Hawaii Graduation Initiative. Mm-hmm. So we want more students and we want those students to be much more innovative and entrepreneurial and so on. And so um, I think that's the principal reason why we began to put this office together. And uh, this office will really look more closely at the academic side of how we are doing in STEM and how we can move each of the campuses and all of the campuses forward to increase our numbers in STEM. We actually so, have some performance funding that we, we are doing now with STEM specifically. So we've, we've set some, limit, uh, some, some targets that mm-hmm. we want all of the colleges to try to achieve in their enrollments in STEM. So you talk about uh, sort of looking at STEM and, and quantifying it from the university standpoint. What about, what about all the uh, programs that are going on in, in the DOE, whether it's uh, robotics or Science Olympiad or Science Fair or the multitude of various kinds of sort of outside-of-the-class activity that the, the students get involved in, all of them sort of come under the umbrella of STEM. Are, are you, from the office standpoint, looking at getting a handle on what, kinds of activities are going out there going on out there and and maybe not tracking but you know sort of keeping uh some some metrics on how are these students progressing from high school into their sort of college years and are they moving into some of these fields and maybe later on we can talk to you know Peter about engineering is engineering gaining more students as a result of this but I want you to kind of give me a sense of what, do the, what does the office really want to measure? Is it just the UH kind of activity, or does it also encompass, you know, sort of the, 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 the DOE and the high school? Right. Um, you know, one of the major initiatives that we, we have going right now 
uh, as as part of the startup of this of this new office is a STEM Pathways project where we want to we want to look at the STEM pathway from middle school to graduate school, and then we want to have very specific stop in points and and stop out points mm-hmm. where students can come in and go out into workforce. Uh, get 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 gainful employment, get more money for college, pay for tuition, get back onto the path, and then make that path all the way up through to wherever their academic goal is. And so, uh, it's really important that we, you know, really carefully design that. And we actually have a working group now <clears throat> that meets all the time, uh, at, at least once a month, to uh, sit and talk about how we're going to make this pathway work and the smooth transitions that happen between K twelve and and the university and the university undergraduate and graduate and two-year to four-year and all those different uh, transition So points. Pathways is a great, I think, a great term that starts to create the visualization of people going on a path and actually achieving a goal as a result of that. But are there specific kinds of specialties that the pathway will lead students down? Are, is there an engineering pathway? Is there a science pathway? Is there right. something that is more geared toward, let's say, Cybersecurity pathway. I mean, what what sort of pathways are there? So right now we we kind of talk of this about this in three pathways. And actually, uh, there's a website that we've just uh, made live. And if you look at the pathways project, you'll mm-hmm. actually see mm-hmm. a visual on this, okay. which is really cool to look at. But basically, you know, students who are in uh, coming out of high school basically can have three paths. One is pretty much straight to the workforce. Uh, there might be some skill sets that they need to develop to get specifically ready for a work job in, through a career and technical program, and we do that at our community colleges. Mm-hmm. But that's more what we're calling a workforce path. Then we have a college path. We call it the college path because we in Hawaii call them community colleges. We have great seven fantastic community colleges. At the community colleges are four basic uh, what we're calling concentrations in the pathway. There is physical science, biological science, um, then what we're, a new one we're calling uh, information and uh, communications technology, which is a brand new kind of more encompassing ICT. Uh, mm-hmm. ICT, mm-hmm. And, okay, you're familiar with that term, yeah. And and uh, and then engineering. And so there are four basic pathways through the college, the the college mechanism. And then there's the university. You know, the students that come out of high school want to go straight to the University of Hawaii. So what what we're trying to do is work with the Department of Ed and all of the uh, the uh, specialists there, uh, and the community college folks, and the CTE folks, and the University of Hawaii at Manoa folks, and the community college folks. We're all getting together on a regular basis now to build this pathway in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter, I mean, I know you're uh, from the engineering side, the E in STEM, um, and I'm coming from someone who was very bad at math, made it all the way through, got my college degree <laughs> without even getting past pre-algebra, and that loophole was quickly closed after I had graduated. But uh, could you speak a little bit to that M? Because, you know, we're talking about engineering and the science and the technology, and I think a lot of people can begin to see a career pathway that way or a practical application and um, hands-on project-based learning kind of tells you about ways that science, for example, can lead you down a path. But math to me has always seemed a little uh, mysterious, a little nebulous. Um, how do you, uh, how, how would you talk about the M in STEM in terms of this grander vision and the kind of programs that we might look for uh, fostering or growing at either DOE or at UH? Well, at some level, it's 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 quite easy. Um, it's 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 a language. Uh, unfortunately, to describe you know 
engineering uh, terms, you need to be fairly specific. And the way in which you um, define those specific issues is through the language of mathematics. So, mm. so mathematics is, is necessary simply because you need to be able to describe what you're doing precisely so there's no ambiguity in it. And so at some level, you, you know, if you want to pursue a STEM subject, you really have to master some level of, of mathematics to just, just to be able to speak the language. It's interesting in the biological sciences, for example, um, for many decades, of course, uh, some students who wanted to be in STEM went through the biological sciences approach simply because they could avoid mathematics. But of mm. course, now um, with with the advent of various you know data science issues, even even there, it's becoming much more heavily mathematics uh, oriented. So it's a language, and uh, what we need to do is just do a better job in teaching it. I mean, we just need to help more kids understand the beauty of mathematics and how to appreciate it. I think you've already kind of twisted it in my head in a constructive way to think of it as a language and kind of a fundamental piece of these other legs of the stool, for example. So I really appreciate that. Well, you know what? And, and I, I do want to hear more from Peter about engineering because I think the E in STEM has really gotten maybe more attention than some of the other, ac- I mean, you know, uh, the acronym. <laughs> the but so acronym. we will hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both John Rand and Peter Crouch about STEM. And what about the metrics? How do you measure your success as you begin to foster and focus on STEM education? And, of course, we will love to hear from you as well, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. What does it take to become and remain a charter school? Following the recent denial of three would-be schools, the Hawaii State Public Charter School Commission is meeting tomorrow. They'll take action on a proposal request for the next cycle, review the financials of current charter schools, and how they're rated. Commission Executive Director Tom Hutton joins us tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. People live a life that is ongoing, but treat it as if whatever's happening at the moment is the last opportunity they're going to have. Social psychologist Ellen Langer studies happier, more mindful living without meditation or yoga. It is, she says, the simple act of actively noticing things. That's the next On Being. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I am Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to John Rand and Peter Crouch about STEM in Hawaii. And, of course, you can give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. You know, we want to get uh, Peter because, you know, we've, we've been talking about STEM. We've been talking about en- – and he is the dean of the College of Engineering. He would know. He would know. So are we actually achieving our objectives in terms of getting people into 
let's say, engineering as a profession? And how are we actually doing? How, how are we actually measuring that? Well, we can measure it in, you know, many ways. Um, for me, uh, one of the ways, of course, is how many students are, are we teaching? So uh, I, I came to Hawaii in 2006. So for me, time began in 2006. Okay. Um, and so I've been here nine years. Uh, in that time, we've increased the enrollment in engineering by 65%. Um, so, so just the numbers of students. Of course, then you ask, well, you know, how many students are exiting? Um, so last uh, semester at our summer graduation or spring graduation, uh, we had 160 students graduate, which is about 60 students more than the average over the last few years. So that's quite an increase in actual output of students into the community. Um, and so those are two two mechanisms. Um, I would like to, though, given, given our uh, previous discussions, talk a little bit about the fact that um, what's important is that uh, there is only one engineering college and program in Hawaii today. And so it's really important that um, we don't think of simply uh, students coming from Oahu. And so we need to reach out into the rest of Hawaii. So working with our community colleges has been really interesting, uh, mm -hmm. interesting and important. And so I think one of the biggest uh, things that we're really happy about is the way in which we've managed to uh, increase the number of transfers from the community colleges into engineering and into other STEM subjects. I think it's, it's – people resonate with engineering because there's a clear profession – Mm -hmm. But once students get into the engineering courses uh, and subject material, they sometimes find, well, you know, I really would like to be a mathematician mm -hmm. or, you know, really I would like to be an oceanographer. Um, and so that's okay too. As, so, so having them successfully transfer into, say, a four-year college like West Oahu, Oahu um, the, the Manoa campus or, or Hilo, um, that gives them additional uh, mechanisms to go out and get a degree in some STEM subject. So, mm -hmm. so we're, not, we're not trying to be totally possessive right. about it, but people identify with engineering. I, I'm just curious, before we go to our call, I just, I'm curious, where uh, are these students that are graduating, the 160, are they getting jobs in, in Hawaii? How's that being measured? No, I mean, not all of them get jobs in Hawaii. I think most of them are actually getting jobs. But, you know, there's the West Coast. You've heard of the West Coast. Ah, and yes, and uh, <laughs> some of the salaries there are really attractive. Um, so I actually like to encourage our West Coast companies to come and recruit students. One of the ways we need to um, enhance our ability to um, uh take our economy to another level mm -hmm. is to uh, get um, experienced engineers into Hawaii. What better method to actually attract uh, students who've grown up in Hawaii, go to the mainland, get trained in an engineering profession, and then they want to come back. Mm -hmm. So that's an additional route. Um, so having our students go and work both in Hawaii for com engineering companies in Hawaii 
and go to the mainland, I think, is are both routes that, that Hawaii needs. Very good, very good. So we're talking to Peter Crouch. He's the dean of the College of Engineering over at the University of Hawaii. And, of course, John Rand, who is the head of the newly uh, appointed, I guess, Office of STEM over at the University of Hawaii. And, of course, if you have a STEM question, feel free to give us a call. number is 941 3689 or from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. We want to welcome Linda from Hawaii Kai to Bite Marks Cafe. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I'm calling to speak up for mathematics. Okay, good. <laughs> especially in terms of it being a discipline in which students can experience a great deal of creativity. Um even if it is something about mathematics that the professor may already know, when the student does it for the first time, that student is creating something mathematically. And uh, most of my experience, though some of it was at the college level, was at the high school level. And from my geometry teacher many years ago, um, doing locus drawings Mm -hmm. where the student would take a basic locus, you know, the points at a given distance from a given point, and create actually an artistic picture from that. And that was part of their assignment, something that they were graded on, something that contributed to their mathematics experience. And for many students who had... um, perhaps stumbled in doing proofs in geometry, that was a wonderful, opening, creative, happy experience. And I think that that little experience way back in math can be duplicated as students are in mathematics classes where the teachers uh, present it for the students to be discovering and hence creating. That's a great point, Linda, and I really appreciate those comments because, you know, in in terms of uh, where I really got kind of hooked on the uh, sort of the engineering was actually the the physics uh, side of things. So the courses that I took in physics really connected the math with the real world. And if you start to look at how math is a way of modeling the real world, which is really kind of what physics is all about, uh, you really can see sort of that connection mm. and, and that creativity. I think you, you're all turning me around on this. Okay, math. good. <laughs> Thank you, Linda, for your call. <laughs> now, John, we're running out of time, I know, but I, I wanted to get to your uh, aspect of the question that um, Bert asked Peter, which is the metrics, the measurement of success. Coming into this office and creation, creating this office, do you have a baseline? Do you know how we're doing, where we're starting today, so we can know we're doing better next year, for example? Yeah, we uh, at the uh, at the University of Hawaii, there is an Office of Institutional um, Research, and we actually look at very closely now where our STEM numbers are. Uh, STEM is an area that, like I mentioned, we are doing some performance funding for the university. So we actually expect the various colleges to try to achieve certain levels um, that have been established as part of our strategic directive in Hawaii. So, um, yeah, we, we look at it really closely, and, and we're now uh, keeping track of all of those numbers. And as Peter mentioned, uh, you know, we can, look at, we can look at all the numbers. As, of course, the university 
four-year university numbers are pretty consistent in enrollments and so on, but the community colleges has been really where we've seen movement in STEM enrollment uh, in the past few years. And as Peter's mentioned, engineering has really benefited from that. Mm -hmm. If you think more students is a benefit, Peter, and we're going (laughs) to – I guess that's something we take offline. But, but, uh, you know – we have increased numbers big time, and it's it's largely because of of some new programs at the community colleges. And that I mentioned that was one of the kind of the three ways in which students from high school can get to the university. You know, they can do it through the workforce pathway, the college pathway, and the university pathway. The college pathway is where we see most movement in the numbers. Mm-hmm. The numbers have escalated tremendously. Now, you know, this idea of the office of STEM is probably a uh, I think it's a very good idea, and given the fact that you know, whether it's government or University of Hawaii, it probably has taken a long time to establish this office. Even though right now in a snapshot, it looks like a great idea. How long did it take to actually, you know, set this office up? Well, I began... It's a, it's a long time coming. Yeah, uh, it, it has. I I, uh, I worked at Kapiolani Community College, mm-hmm. and I actually did taught some courses at Manoa for, for over 20 years. And then I went off to the National Science Foundation for a few years. And uh, actually, when I came back, I came back into the position. It's been about a year and a half, and uh, it's taken about that long to... You know, I, I think we had to learn a lot of things. We had to define STEM, mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. whole big, long discussion I had earlier. I mean, that was that was something that the university really needed to do. That was one of the first tasks that I had. So it hasn't all been about establishing the office, but, you know, it's all working towards, yeah, now I think it's time to put the office together. Can you share a little bit about what the uh, goals of the office are? Who are some of the people that you plan to uh, employ there? I mean, what's the overall objective? Yeah, so we have a number of objectives. Um, we want to develop these pathways. That's one of the biggest initiatives that we have. Mm-hmm. We want to get these pathways to be quite seamless and very clearly laid out so that a student knows exactly where they can go and how what the different places are where they can move into workforce, work for a while, and then get back onto the path and then keep moving academically. Uh, we feel very strongly that that's one of the areas. We are trying to blend um, also blend uh, research, the research community that we have that's very, very strong in Hawaii with academics, with workforce. So we're actually trying to kind of like treat those as three legs of the stool. We would like to hire someone in the STEM office that actually will blend those three things together. We're calling it the STEM network coordinator or the broader impact network coordinator. Mm. But the idea is that we have all these things like robotic programs and so on. We've also got university researchers who are bringing in millions and millions of dollars in robotics. When they write a grant to get that money in robotics, they have got to tell the the folks that are funding them, so what are you going to do for the broader community? What is the broader impact of the research that you want to do? Because they might be just designing some real specific function for that robot. It's very difficult sometimes for a UH Manoa faculty to come up with some innovative ways to be broadening their research, right, to Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. impact community. What we want to do in this office of STEM is to uh, do a handshake between that researcher and those robotic students at McKinley High School. Mm -hmm. We want to put them together so that we can write in their grant that we're going to support McKinley's robotics program to get more students involved in robotics so that ultimately it will support that research as it goes on. So it can, be, it can in fact become part of the, the grant-seeking pipeline in the sense that that can be part of it up front because I agree. You could say, I want a grant to create a um, servo that can change the optics on this widget. Right. And some people say, well, what good is that? But you can say, because we can work with the VEX Robotics program at Radford High School, X, Y, and Z, and suddenly it has that kind of content. Right. And Radford might need, 
you know, a few thousand dollars to keep their program going. And this research is bringing in $800,000. You know, maybe there's a way we could provide some language and support for that researcher. So I don't have to worry about the impact part. We'll we'll help the Radford kids. We'll take some of that grant money and send it there. And and then hopefully, you know, that faculty begins to work with the Radford kids and you get the whole – so we've we've heard a lot of uh, uh, you know about the uh, the financial situation that UH is in and there's you know hiring freezes and no new employees what have you I mean have you been able to overcome that limitation? Yeah, I mean I think initially the the program uh, the the STEM office itself will probably uh, be grant funded to get it started mm-hmm. and we've got a number of grants in the hopper right now that we're waiting to hear on and, and that will be wonderful. We have a commitment for this year so actually the positions will be hired. In fact, they're ready to be hired right now. I'm just simply waiting for some space to open up. Uh, some uh, physical no, space. Well, doesn't Peter have some space that he's... Well, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> Peter, do you have space? <laughs> no, I... No comment. You really want me to answer that? <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Th- uh, we we actually will probably be grant funded, but like with the broadening impact network that that I just mm-hmm, mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, if if that research faculty member with an eight hundred thousand dollar grant will, will allow us to take eight thousand of that and uh, you know send some money to Radford to support their program, and then we'll keep some money at the STEM office, and that will Sustain if we can that. do that with enough researchers, we'll have enough money to support the position. So it sounds like the office is still fairly new again, but we're glad to get the scoop here on Bite Marks Cafe. Mm-hmm. We hope you find a home soon. Uh, but if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, if you have a high school teacher saying, I want to be a part of this growing tree, this pipeline for my students in STEM, where can they find more information, John? Well, uh, we actually have a brand new website that's up and live now, and it's uh, it's www.hawaii.edu slash STEM. Easy to and, remember. And if yeah. Ryan and I want to send in our resumes, uh, where, where, where can we send them? Well, there'll be an announcement out. It's going to go <laughs> – it will be both in the, the local newspaper and it will be at uh, work at Hawaii you – know, uh, Work uh, at UH. Yeah, Work yeah. at UH. Dot we'll definitely put up the uh, the, the <laughs> URL for STEM on our show notes tonight. And want to thank, uh, well, of course, John Rand heads up the new office over at the UH, uh, the STEM office. And, of course, Peter Crouch is the dean of the College of Engineering at UH. And we want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank I you very it. much. It was really good. Yeah. And thank, thank you, you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll find out about new initiatives at the Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism. And you've, if you missed any of the uh, of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show later on tonight on BiteMarksCafe.org. And, of course, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is the talented and handsome David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a new single from the album coming out by New Order. It's a song called Restless. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.